What is going on, guys, and welcome back to the PixWap Podcast. My name is Sean Bernard, as always, here with my esteemed partner, James Brain. James, how are we doing today? Um, I'm doing well, man. Esteemed is a, a nice way to be introduced. I appreciate that. Yeah, there we go. We got the holiday season. Got to kick things off on a high vibe here. Sixers had their six-game winning streak snapped at the hands of the Chicago Bulls. The first test against a semi-real team. While the Bulls certainly have their problems and their issues and rumors, all those to go be attached to them. A huge upgrade over the Pistons and Wizards, who the Sixers were beating up on. A huge compliment and testament to the Sixers team to see them taking care of business and handling kind of the the little fish in the pond. But I do think that we are all zeroed in on focusing on these bigger games ahead. Uh, We were recording this before the Timberwolves game. By the time this is out for you guys, this will be after, so you guys have a clue for what happened. But for this episode specifically, I want to talk a little bit about some bigger picture stuff, the state of the team, and the outlook for the season as far as production. So I want to kick things off in this episode right here. I want to talk some MVP, James. I know everybody's sick of the discourse, sick of the conversation that we have fought this battle all last year. But James, if I had to ask you right now, who is your NBA MVP? Um, sure, it's Joel. Uh, of, of course, it's Joel. I, I'll put it this way though: is um, I think last couple years we've had to battle for it to say like, hey, this is why. This is like, here's you know, you guys aren't seeing this or this, and you know, you're not watching on a nightly basis, so all these types of things, right? We're trying our best to defend him and, and prop him up. He's done it himself this year. Um, he's yeah. He is the reigning MVP, so it almost feels like his title to lose, right? Like someone's going to have to really outplay him um, in that degree. It's what's happened in the last, you know, three MVPs have gone back to back, right? And then eventually some player comes through and plays a little bit better. And I think everyone kind of assumed that Embiid might take a, maybe not a step down, but um, have a different, attack this year but he's been more calculated and more efficient and better just in general um at everything he's he's gotten better at you know offensive rebounding rebounding in general passing he's taken a clear step up the defense has been um you know intense and informed and you know on point since you know the after the first maybe week or two um he started to step it up and then the scoring man like He's, he doesn't have to play fourth quarters very often anymore. Obviously, that was with the the Pistons and Wizards. But um, when was the last time he scored less than thirty? Uh, doing I believe it's once all season, if I'm correct. So on that. it's insane, dude. What he's doing as a, a scorer, like he's going to be, um, he's on pace right now. Obviously, still early to lead the league in scoring for a third straight year, which hasn't been done since like the early '80s. Bob McAdoo did it. Like guys his size don't do this, right? So um, it's pretty unprecedented. He's been amazing. He's carrying a really strong Sixers team right now. And again, if you take him off this squad, they are not a very good team. So yeah. um, I think that that plays a factor as well. But um, I don't feel like the argument is, a, is as intense right now from any side, um, which I think is a good thing. I think that that is where the discourse should be. Yeah, absolutely. And to fact check myself real quick, there have been five games this year that he scored under 30. Uh, His lowest scoring performance this year was against the Celtics where he had 20 points. He has not scored below 20 in any games this season. I like a lot of what you said there. The only thing I want to push back on is I still think this is Jokic's crown to hold. Unfortunately, I think that the uh, 
you know, winning the championship and taking your team through those finals, answering those questions. That to me is more of a statement than MVP. And I especially feel that we're going to have to scrap and claw and fight this good battle if we want Joel MVP uh, again, because that's what it took last year. And I do feel like everyone's feelings were a little hurt from his playoff performance and especially the media people. That is the shadow of doubt that they have on Joel MVP. That frankly, I think he could be doing what he's doing right now i was gonna put like a crazy player comparison then i realized like joel Embiid basically is that player crazy player comparison but he could do what he's doing right now for the length of the season and there's still gonna be plenty of people that just say i don't care i want to see it in the playoffs and that's kind of one of those things that Embiid obviously has to hold i'm not gonna fluff up or sugarcoat his playoff performances by any mean but it is a regular season award and it is insane to think about this is a guy who won mvp last year and is averaging more points more rebounds more assists, more blocks, and more steals in fewer minutes per game this season. And I especially think it's a testament to Joel with the scoring efficiency and numbers going off to be doing this without James Harden because so much of those points were created by James Harden on the pick and roll, on the pick and pop, James Harden captaining the offense. While Tyrese Maxey is absolutely taking leaps and is filling the shoes of a guy running the offense, I wouldn't say he's creating looks for Embiid in the same way that Harden did. Like so many of those pocket passes and that granted, Maxi has hit some sick pocket passes as well, but it just doesn't feel as much of Harden force feeding Embiid in the way that Maxi is. Like it felt like Harden was much more, I guess, a direct linear translation to a Harden bass to draw Embiid basket. Feels like Embiid's getting on his own a little more this year, which you can look at that as both a positive and a weakness. There's a lot of hoop left to be played this year, which is why I think the the race is still pretty tame. But I did just want to list off the odds at this current time. Once again, this is coming in before the Timberwolves t- uh, game and before that slate of games. But I want to get what surprises you most out of this list, James. So to list off these odds coming from DraftKings, Nikola Jokic is the favorite at plus 250. Joel Embiid next up at plus 350. That recently changed. He did just uh, hop Luka Doncic, who is third at plus 400. Shea Gilgis-Alexander at plus 750. Giannis at 1,000. And Jason Tatum at plus 1,800 round out the top six. Are there any names in there that surprise you or I guess the values, the distance, anything from that list that jumps out to you? Um, I can say this without being disrespectful. Like Tatum should be nowhere near that list. Like period. <laughs> um, he's a fantastic player, but he is not the most valuable player in the league. Like let's let's be honest with that. If you know if we're talking about value, um, but aside from that, without throwing any shade, really, like it's fine. Um, it seems about right. Like the league has tried to been forcing Luca into MVP conversations for the last three seasons, and um, he's fantastic. He's great. Um. He is, but you know, I, I think that Embiid and Jokic are kind of in a class of their own right now, yeah. um, and that's going to be the conversation. I know people get sick of it, like the uh, voter fatigue, as they say, but I don't know. I mean, I think it's fine. Like, I, I think that like it makes sense at this point. Um, Shea is good, and then they're playing really well uh, in, in OKC. I, I think you could look at um, you know the top teams in either conference and kind of pick and point. I guess Minnesota probably the only one that doesn't have like an MVP caliber player on their team that's at the top of their conference, which is impressive for them. Um, and we'll talk about them in a minute, but um, it makes sense. It all makes sense. I think Joel obviously is um, like on a night in, night in, night out basis is proving a lot. Uh, like I think the biggest point I was going to make um, after you, you pushed back was like, he went through a lot. Like they went through a lot this summer. Um, yeah. Like they came oh, yeah. into camp with a lot of question marks and it didn't take him any time at all really to like, just turn it on and figure it out and and still be not only himself, but a, a better, more efficient, more focused version of himself, which has been really um, awesome to see. So 
they got a lot of games to play. They got a lot of good like teams to play. He obviously got a lot to, I don't want to say he padded his stats, but he definitely took advantage of the situation uh, against some of these pretty bad teams. But even the Knights, dude, like against the Hornets, dude, he shot what 78% from the field. Like they were like, we're not going to foul you. We're not going to 73. Like, we're not going to let you get to the line. He was like, okay, I'll just do 18 of 23 from the field and I'll kill you. Mm -hmm. I'll kill you in 30 minutes or less. And it's, that's really impressive. So, We'll see. It's got a lot, lot of time to play out, but um, this year is like quickly picking up speed. Uh, I guess that happens every year, though. Yeah. And uh, speaking of stat padding, so I want to talk about Giannis Antetokounmpo a little bit. Oh, a little bit surprised to see him down at fifth in odds at plus 1,000. I still, frankly, to be honest, if I had to make this list, I would put Giannis at third still. Luca has a very good case, by the way. So I guess Luca deserves to be in there as well. To rip off his stats on the year. He's averaging 32.9 points, 9.1 assists, and 8.4 rebounds. I am buying into Luka. a little bit of Luka, that is, yes. That's pretty impressive numbers, yeah. and Kyrie's been hurt. He's kind of keeping that team afloat, and the Mavericks have been legitimately good this year. That I am yeah. buying a little bit what the Mavs are selling. Uh, Kyrie hurt right now, and Derek Lively hurt right now, who has been absolutely phenomenal awesome. on that team. He's a winning player, dude. I'm a big Derek Lively fan, so yeah. I do like that Mavs team. But I did want to bring up Giannis. Um, I'm curious, like, when you get in these conversations, I still think ultimately, even with these Luka numbers and if the Mavs stay in it, I think he'll stay in the conversation. But I think like the full best player in the world title, which is slightly different than the MVP race, I think is still between the Nikola Jokic, Joel Embiid, and Giannis. And you touched on value and talked about Embiid kind of navigating situations. The reason that I hold Embiid in different light than those two is in both situations with Giannis and Jokic, like they came into a stable franchise there was a situation, a growth path for them, and they just fully capitalized on that. Both those guys deserve that credit. Giannis specifically is night and day as far as what he's done to his body, what he's done to his game and growing. Still can't really, doesn't have a bag or a dribble move or able to shoot much. So I guess maybe I'm taking it back a little bit. But the bottom line is he did transform himself into something that he wasn't coming to the league. When you look at Joel Embiid, Joel Embiid has been the stabilizing force in the Sixers organization. That he has outlived three different GMs. He's on his third coach. He's had 150 teammates. He's had GMs tweeting about him from a burner account. That like he had every reason not to succeed and grow in this player. And to me, that makes it all the more impressive that he is. I'm not saying that means that he deserves to win MVP for a second consecutive year for it, but I do think that like there is a different way that you should look at him compared to these other guys. Um, but I guess to swing it back to Giannis. I did want to get your opinion on the whole ball situation with the Pacers, how that all happened. So Giannis scores 64 points, sets a career high, breaks the Bucks franchise record, and really wanted that ball after the game. What was your vibe check on all of that? I thought it was super lame uh, just yep. from him. I, I mean, I understand wanting the ball um, and then to use his mom as an excuse for like, oh, I wanted to give it to my mom, like sign a jersey or do whatever, you know, Um I just thought it was really pathetic um, in an early December basketball game against the Indiana Pacers to chase their players down the hallway and lose your mind over a basketball that you and realistically you could just pick any basketball and sign it and write 64 and give it to whomever. But um, that's just, it's just so on brand for him. It just really is. I think that he, that's like kind of who he is. Um, maybe if like, I don't know, I just it, it, it's hard for to like if you're a Bucks fan like I don't know how you're really defending that it's like same thing with the ladder thing like sure I'm sure he was pissed off because he missed a ton of free throws and lost the Bucks a game in Philadelphia and then threw a, a hissy fit and, and threw a ladder um, when the people that are doing their jobs are just trying to do their jobs um, Montrez Harold's best moment in his Sixers career yes. by the way 
Yeah, agreed. Um, and like to, for the way that he was yelling at Tyrese Halliburton and like putting his hand in his chest, like really Touching rubbed him, me. The, yeah. yeah, like really rubbed me the wrong way. Um, and I don't, I don't know. Like you're a two-time MVP champion, Finals MVP. Like you should be better than that. Like you should be, you should have your yourself to a higher standard. Like I would expect somebody with no career accomplishments to react that way when they have a big night like that. But in reality, like that should just be one of the, one of the things that I've done. Right. And like, again, it was the middle of December. I know the Pacers and Bucks have a little thing going on, which I love by the way. Um, I think it's great. I I want more of that. Um, And maybe this adds fuel to that fire. And if that's the case, great. It was good for the, for the game. Um, But just like, just felt like really weird behavior um, from a guy that should be, should hold himself above things like that. Um, and I loved what Pat Bev said on his podcast. Yes, sir. I'd peel that bitch like an orange before yeah. he got his hands on it. They I love pop that the thing. Yeah. yeah. I love that. But <laughs> I, well, I, yeah. really weird. Mm-hmm. I do love that from Pat Bev. Absolutely. And I, I would have loved nothing more than like a Pacers player to have walked out of that locker room with just like the ball completely deflated. Like that would have been hilarious. And by the way, like, I believe Pat Bev would have done that. Like, like I can yeah. absolutely see him doing that. Um, but yeah, I'm pretty much out on Giannis as far as like this is a guy who his reputation and he really was like one of the most likable players in the league for quite some time. And it feels like he's like completely fallen off that pedestal to me. That it feels like these are like regular actions of him overreacting, him doing things. And it's one thing to be competitive and another thing to like overstep. And now, like for this situation specifically. For starters, I'm pretty pro pettiness all around in the situation that I do love the like the beef between the two teams. We understand the backstory from the play or from the in-season tournament and everything that goes along with it. I don't have any issue with Giannis stat padding. And yes, he was very clearly stat padding to get to those 64 points. He checked in. The Pacers did go on a little bit of a run to cut the deficit, but it was still a double-digit game when he checked back in with like two minutes left to go. And that uh ultimately got to that 64. I believe he left with 58 right before that. So got six more points, including a dunk. That was one of those that like, you know, you know what you're doing. Like, you know that you're going for this. And I don't have an issue with you going for the franchise record. I also don't have an issue with the Pacers having a problem with you going for the franchise record because I would have felt disrespected in those shoes as well. So I'm cool with that. I'm cool with them taking the ball. And then for Giannis to kind of lash out on it. I get it. You want the ball. That's understandable. I do think the the Oscar Tshibwe stuff is pretty convenient. I guess I'll put it that way. And by the way, Big Oscar, man, like you look at that guy's Instagram is nothing but youth groups and church retreats and like like one of the nicest guys and has been. I followed him for Kentucky uh, during his time at Kentucky for a little bit. So I hate him kind of being thrown into the mix. I love that the Pacers were about it. I'm in on this Pacers team. But I guess my overarching point in this is I think Giannis is Giannis cannot be looked at as like the nice guy, of the NBA in the way that he was for so long. Yeah, I, I mean, we've been known this um, yeah. and. And not to get into the, into this conversation, but I do like to have this take. I do like to put it out there. I think that if one, if any of the rings are fraudulent, it's that one. I I think, and that that goes for all the sports. Like, if any of them are, I think the year following where the the years were short, like the NBA season was shortened, things were just like everything was weird, right? Mm-hmm. Um, regardless, I think Giannis has gotten a pass because he tells dumb jokes at press conferences and. He does all these things, and I'm sure he is a good guy, right? I'm, I'm sure he is, but he's been incredibly annoying for like the last six years, in my yeah. opinion. I, I think that the the Bucks are annoying. I think that Mike Budenholzer was super annoying. I don't know anything about Adrian Griffin, but he's he annoying now too. Coach. 
Yeah, I think he sucks. Um, I think Giannis has like always been a complainer and like has gotten away with being like kind of vicious at times towards people and officials and other players and coaches and like just because he's like I don't know, just because he has a nice story, um, and they made a movie about him that he can just get away with that shit. It does it bothers me because like Joel, not to say that they have similar upbringings, but not to compare the two, but Joel is in a entirely different boat in the way that he's perceived and the way that, yeah. that people go about talking about him and um, the way that he's treated by the media and the general public. And that pisses me off because I actually think that Joel is a really good dude and he doesn't lash out that way. And he doesn't do things like you would never see Joel do that kind of thing. And people just two days later forgot about it because it was Giannis and you know, that's just what he does. And then the next night he's beating the shit out of the wizards and he's got his kids on the bench and Oh, look how cute this is. That's bullshit in my opinion. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't like it. Um, also, like we've gotten from reliable sources that the rookie getting the ball after their first basket is a legit thing. That happens all the time. Sure, so it wasn't yeah. like, and I'm sure that like maybe it was calculated. It could have been, but it is a real thing. And it's not like they just did that just to like, just to put a middle finger to Giannis. Uh, yeah, well, I, I think the asterisk I'll throw in there is because it wasn't his first bucket that he did score in the in-season tournament. And was he also... It? He had a free throw. He had a free throw. So he had one point. So in the books, I guess it officially is. To me, I I felt like like this was convenient. Maybe. I I agree that that's definitely a thing. It felt like it didn't quite apply to the moment is, I guess, my take on that. Yeah, I guess that's fair. I did did see that. And I knew, was it it a free throw in the in-season tournament and a bucket in that game or vice versa? Because if it was his first bucket, then I think that that's totally valid. I believe it's the opposite. I believe okay. he had one point kind in that of game. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm pretty sure on that. Okay. Um, well, but yeah, way. and to your Embiid point there, can you imagine if Embiid did do that, man? That's can you like? Can you imagine the reaction if Joel Embiid was sprinting through the back hallways, running into the opposing locker room, demanding that he gets a ball back? Like we would never hear the end of that. Joel Embiid would never hear the end of that. So yeah, yeah very different management of every personality. The Giannis stuff, it feels a little bit to me like the, the KD arc. That Remember when Kevin Durant first came in and he was the nicest guy in the world, giving speeches to his mom at the MVP podium, yeah. and everyone was all about, like, this is such a nice guy. And then I, like, distinctly remember the Sports Illustrated, like, cover that it was just KD is not nice. And then, you know, then he was doing the burner accounts, and then he was – cursing all the time and doing all this other stuff just kind of like changing the image of him which was weird i feel like we're getting that from Giannis, but it's like less intentional like for kevin durant it felt like like this is like i don't want to be regarded as the nice guy like i want to be a killer on the court i want to be a guy that people were afraid of for Giannis, i feel like it's like he had the front up and now it's like gradually eroding down of like this is who i actually am and i also get to a certain extent like four guys that are so hyper competitive and need to be these elite athletes locked in mentally from start to finish. I get the edge that comes with that. And some of it's very correlated to being successful as an athlete. So however he's wired is the reason that he's so good at basketball. It's the same reason. Like I know I've made this comparison before, but when you look at the Ben Simmons and Giannis Antetokounmpo juxtaposed, they're the exact same height and they play like miles different in size. And the thing that I do respect about Giannis from an on-court standpoint, doesn't matter how many times he misses, he can go the free throw line airball two in a row and he's driving at you the ex- as hard as he possibly can that same possession so or that next possession so Giannis is the way that he's wired and sometimes it doesn't show off in the, the right way is also the reason why he's grown into this elite NBA player so I do have to acknowledge that as well and my last quick side note here is when you talk about the fraud uh ring or the whatever you want to call it, Mickey Mouse run there 
when you want to talk about like the butterfly effects moments in NBA history, just imagine if Kevin Durant's a size nine shoe man and his toe is not on the line for that three point. That paves the way for the Nets to win a title. And then the whole Kyrie, James Harden, that whole era of basketball changes. We look at that super team differently. The Bucks might have to blow it up at that point. So that is definitely a pivotal moment in NBA history that ultimately led to the Bucks winning a championship. But I do think about that often, how different it would be if his toe, if Kevin Durant's toe was not on the line for that three-pointer. Yeah, um, I, I think you can look back at a lot of uh, playoff runs. I mean, maybe not like that minuscule, like that moment does change everything at the buzzer. That game ends rather than continues on and lose, obviously. Um, and the comparison to Katie and, and Giannis, um, like people hated Katie for something he did, right? Like, sure, he made that yeah. move, and they and not to not to like dismiss your point at all. I agree. Like the arc is similar, where it like gradually got there. Um, I like I actually like I hated it because I loved KD so much. I was like, dude, you can't do that. Like you're you're Kevin Durant. Like you can't do that. Whereas Giannis, I just like I don't I don't think I don't think I enjoy him as a player. I don't think I enjoy him his personality. Um, in those moments, I don't, I don't know him personally, so I obviously can't speak on that, but like, I've never been like, oh man, I really like, I love Giannis. I love watching him play. I love the way he goes about his business. Like I've never been, been like that where Kevin Durant was the opposite. And, um, I don't know, man, I just, it also like he plays for Milwaukee, the whole like sitting down at, at the Sixers half court, um, during that season. And just like, it's, it feels like it's a lot of like that little stuff um, that he's always he's always done. The yeah. I don't know if you recall um, when he got fouled by Mike Dunleavy or he thought he did, and then he full sprint down the court and Mike Dunleavy when he played for the Bulls shot a three and he just oh, yeah. fully he ran definitely. through him. Yeah. Like that is that is who he's been since the beginning. Like if we're being honest, um, and maybe it is like that portion of being locked Wired. in. Or, yeah. aggressive as hell and you got to respect that point of it but um no not not a Giannis fan haven't been for a while and um I want I want to play the Bucs in this I want to play the Bucs in a playoff series like badly like I want that to be the second round series for the Sixers I want the, the Sixers to beat their ass in the second round like I want I want it to be that I want to send Giannis home that would yeah. be better than this I, I not better than the Celtics but it'd be pretty damn good it's kind of crazy that we haven't really had that like heavyweight never. battle with the Bucks in the playoffs. Like the it's just never lined up that way, and kind of surprising. So yeah, it does feel like they're due. Um, but we, let's switch gears, get back to the Sixers specifically here. Um, I did want to talk a little bit about that that Bulls loss, and yeah. specifically for starters, that uh, I had a firm eye. I think everyone did on the you know trade assets with Alex Caruso specifically. And I want to begin. I'm going to share my screen here with the box score because there's a couple things that I did note in this one that I think were relevant and for starters it is these nights where you see the lack of firepower beyond the Joel Embiid and Tyrese Maxey so when you look at this game and this is the box score I have pulled up here Joel Embiid with 40 points 14 rebounds and six assists shot 15 of 28 from the field Tyrese Maxey with 29 points eight assists uh, five rebounds shot nine of 23 from the field five of 11 from three and then no other member of the Sixers scored more than eight points in that matchup. So, James, I just want to get your initial thoughts on that based on, and by the way, it was our, our guy Paul Reed with eight points. That was the third leading scorer on the Sixers there. But what is what goes through your mind when you see that Joel Embiid and Tyrese Maxey score 69 combined points and nobody else on the team has over eight? Not good. Uh, it's not a good thing. Uh, I would start there. Um, Tobias, dude, I don't Yep. I don't know what the conversation is that needs to be had about Tobias, but it feels like we need to have one. 
Um, and I, I mean, you just can't have nights like that. And and I think it, it's a testament to um, their defense. And and they struggled at times um, against the Bulls, which is like a super annoying. Like Kobe White went on like a 15-0 run by himself. He's and the balling, Bulls went on, like, dude. He's, he's been really good. He's yeah. been really good. Um, but the Bulls went on that run in the second quarter, and they just like, never had the ability to get back in the game. Like, no matter how hard they tried, they, they actually took a lead at one point, um, but just could never, like, really take control over the game after that um and that was like that was it like they they took that big lead or they lost the lead and, and the bulls went ahead but i you need more out of Ubre, you need obviously more out of tobias um and i don't really know where else to go from there like honestly you get you get a fairly decent game out of tobias and you win yeah absolutely decent game out of out of Ubre and, and you win and Ubre's still coming back and he had a huge dunk which i love but like just not enough from anybody, and I I don't know if it's intentional that like Maxi and and Embiid only get or are the only ones that are like getting actions towards them, but this offense like is free flowing and guys just didn't make shots. And, yeah. and sometimes every night it comes down to that, right? And I, that's why I was like feeling good about going into this Minnesota game. It's like they haven't had many games that have piled onto each other when they have bad games. They normally come back and are a lot better. Um, shooting the basketball, obviously no Batum and and maybe no Roko slash Marcus Morris tonight. Morris but, is available, uh, but Roko's uncertain not. on the other two. Batum officially out. Roko still up in the air. Morris is available at the time we are recording this. Little after six at this point, we should get that full announcement after. Yeah, but, but um, yeah, I think I mean the conversation has to be Tobias. Um, yeah, for better or for worse. Yeah, and let me dive fully into the Tobias Harris conversation oh, yeah. here. Is uh, let me first juxtapose this with Kelly Oubre. You mentioned Kelly Oubre, not a great game. Agreed for sure. He shot two for ten from the field, finished with six points. What I will say is, I can absolutely live with a guy like Kelly Oubre yeah. taking the right shot, still being aggressive, shooting two for ten, and those two baskets that he made were both huge baskets. It was the dunk, as you referenced, which was a pretty like just a nice cut to the basket, got the ball in a nice high athletic dunk in a way that Paul was Reed good passed. to see. Yeah. Paul Reed passed. Look at that. Um, And then the three pointer, this was with a little over two minutes left in the game. It was a full court pass from Joel to Ubre in the corner, who was ice cold at this point, still took the shot, drained the three and cut the lead to four points at that point in time with a little over two minutes left to play. That was a huge shot that it's a completely different story being down seven and being down four with two minutes left in the game. So hats off to Ubre for shooting his way through it. Obviously, I want more shots to go in, but I had no problem with Ubre's game because I still thought he took the right shots, did his thing. Now, Tobias Harris, three points in 32 minutes, straight up unacceptable. What's even more unacceptable to me is three shot attempts in 32 minutes. What are you doing out there? What 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 is fulfilling the rest of your time on the court? And this is what struck me the most about there being an issue with Tobias Harris is this stat right here. Tobias Harris has shot fewer than 10 field goal attempts in five of his last seven games. He only attempted fewer than 10 shots once in the first 19 games of the season. And that was the very first game of the season. And on top of that, Tobias has only attempted more than three three-point attempt, three attempts once in the past nine games. That just does not cut it. And, like, I get it. I know all the good guy stuff. I know all the finding his role, whatever. There's no reason why you shouldn't be seeking out your own shot. That was a night where the Sixers desperately needed someone to cook a little bit, to go create their own shots. That's why Tobias Harris is here. That These are the opportunities that you should be stepping up in. And I think that we've kind of fully hit that wall of being frustrated to 
Tobias Harris is fully incapable of getting more put on his plate when this team needs to. He is what he is, and he's no longer this guy that's sacrificing his role or what what the team needs. This is what he's capable of. Three points in 32 minutes just straight up can never happen again. Yeah, I I don't even know what to make of that one. Um, like, is he really getting eaten up by Pat Williams like that bad? Uh, he's a good he defender. Should not be. He should not be like he Pat Williams is a good defender, but he should not be eaten up like that. Um, and it really comes down to the, like the thought process of like, can you win? Can you win a championship with Tobias Harris being like your third best offensive player? Oh no, that um, ship long gone. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, you gotta wonder now, like in the NBA, expiring contracts are as good as gold, right? Yeah. Like, I don't think you have to attach anything to him to get rid of him. To be completely honest with you, I think that there's a there is a way out there to have moved on from Tobias at this point. What is it about him that's keeping him around? Are they waiting for it to be a salary match situation? Are they waiting for him to get better? Like I, I really like I don't. That was naturally <laughs> hit his prime at the that, age yeah, of thirty one. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't like really meant to be a joke, but it came out that way. Um, but I, I really I don't know. I don't know what. I don't know what the deal is with him because um, like at his best, right? Like when Tobias is playing his best in this offense and this team, like he's giving you 16 to 18 a night, right? Like, yeah. is that good enough? Like, is that like, it's not, especially now when you have like switchable wings that play defense right. and space the floor and are willing shooters that'll take contested shots that'll drive to the basket and actually put up, but like get to the rim um, when it's not a fast break and, and they'll fucking dunk. Um, like there's multiple guys on this team that kind of filled the roles that he's supposed to be doing. Um, and I just don't know what, like, I don't know what he's good at. I don't know what his defining skill is. I don't know where it comes from. And maybe like, I'm sure that he's, uh, it's nice to have the consistency, right? Like we've talked about that a ton, but more is extended through the next four years. Nick Nurse is here for you know the foreseeable future. Joel Embiid has the contract that he needs, and Tyrese Maxey is going to be around. Like, boom! There's your there's your core. There's your conglomerates. It's okay for him to. It's okay to let go of this. It feels like we've just been handcuffed to this guy for so long. It feels like he's been a sixer for so long. I saw somebody post um, to end it out here. Sorry, I've been ranting, but um, they went back and found the tweet from Bleacher Report that was like 76ers trade for Ford Tobias Harris, and then they. They posted a clip from Interstellar of uh, <laughs> McConaughey's like, no, don't do it, Murph. Don't do it, Murph. And I was just dying laughing at that because it like it is like, damn, dude. Like 20 or what was that, 2018, 2019? Like, geez, Louise, man. How has it been that long? And by the way, I would be remiss if I did not mention the day after him scoring three points in 32 minutes that the Sixers social media is posting why he should be voted for an all-star game. That Get them in the race to Indy with pictures of Joel Embiid, Tyrese Maxey, and Tobias Harris there. Come on, man. Have some self-respect. And by the way, you're just teeing it up for this guy to get shredded on social media. And that's exactly what happened, as most would expect. But yeah, it is frustrating. And to your point about kind of the, the tradable contract, two points here. Number one is I still think the, the Sixers are keeping it close to the vest is they're valuable to other teams because they're valuable to the Sixers. That they want to get this off the books this sure. summer too. That if you can get $40 million off the books just by letting his contract expire and then just outright signing a player who likely will be better than Tobias Harris or better for this team, I should say, that's a win. So I think that's very much in Daryl Morey's mind. And the other part is, we still got to address like the grass is not always greener. Like 
who is he ultimately traded for? I did want to circle back this conversation to the Bulls a little bit because I was pretty locked in on that game. And Alex Caruso was a guy I know we've talked about on here before. He did pop to me a little more than I expect him to. And in that game specifically, as always, box score is not something that does Alex Caruso his true justice. But in 31 minutes, added 10 points, four assists, four rebounds, two blocks, and a steal. Shot five for eight from the field. You felt when Alex Caruso was on the floor, I thought he notably bothered Max. He is a perimeter defender. He really pops laterally, the way he can move back and forth to stay in front of guys. Like, he is very much in that conversation for the best perimeter defender in the NBA, like, period. Like, I think do think he's that good of a defender. I still question, like, that has to be the move. I think, like, it's going to require two first-round picks to Alex, get Alex Caruso. I do think he's going to make plays that straight up win a playoff series. And that kind of is pushing me towards going out and getting him that I think it could potentially be worth it. But then that's also like, you do have finite uh, assets here that you don't want to waste it on this. So I guess after that game and having a little more concrete data for what the Sixers team is, I want to get a vibe check on Alex Caruso for you again. Yeah. He made me feel, uh, he made me feel right. I I think that I was validated in watching Alex Caruso play um, against the Sixers the other night because I, I think he'd be great here. I think that he would be absolutely awesome. Um, everything that you saw from him. I mean, I I think the one big thing is I just wish he was a more willing shooter. shooter. Like I wish he was yeah. getting more shots up from deep because um, he's a good percentage-wise, but he just doesn't take a lot of them, um, which we're just talking about how frustrating that can be on this team, um, especially with the, the current offensive situation, dude. But like when you talk about a guy that, that every single night is going to go out there, pick up the best ball handler on the other team, um, and just piss them off the entire time and make winning plays and smart cuts and chase down blocks and fast break layups and and ones and a great free throw shooter, a guy that can handle the rock, make good passes, set other teammates up, but also not go unnoticed when he doesn't have the ball. Like, I know, I, I think that they're in this weird spot where it's like, we have these assets, they're going to grow and we can make this big move. And like, you need, you may want another star. Right. That, like that's probably what people are eyeing. And, and I don't disagree with that. Yeah. But if you find yourself in a situation this year where it's like, hey, we only have. Uh, you know, every all we can all look at the rest of the league and be like, oh, I'd want him. He might cost three picks and I want him like it takes two to tango. Other teams have to not right. only want to trade their players, but also be willing to trade them to the Sixers for what they have. And it's really difficult to do the Bulls. Obviously, I don't know what they're doing. I don't know what they're plan is at all neither do they yeah i don't think i think you're right i don't think they do either <laughs> dude caruso like you said like how much is a guy worth if he if you can confidently say after watching him for one singular game if you can confidently say he's a guy that's going to win you a playoff game but that might swing a series like yeah if that's how you feel if that's how we feel after watching him for one game damn dude like I, I mean, you might have to overpay for him, but God forbid somebody else that's your direct competitor overpays for him because that, then we're in hell. Fear. Yeah, you that's know what the I fear. Mean? Mm-hmm. And I don't know. And he doesn't make a lot. And even if that's your move, quote unquote, and you want to protect that, the the like the idea and the light at the end of the tunnel that is your cap space that we keep talking about, boom, go get an OG and an OB in the summer instead of having to trade your three picks for him. And then it's like, holy shit, this is the best defensive team in the league. And they got right. three primary scores and they got floor spacers. Like, well, we just flipped the entire script. But I mean, I'm not saying that they should go out and spend two first round picks to get Alex Cruz. I'm not saying that necessarily, but I'm saying if he ended up on the Sixers 
I might not even look at the price tag because I'm just happy we have them. Yeah. So a couple, I guess, to walk it back a little on my my comments here. So one of my arguments, and I've been pretty anti-Caruso, is I wasn't confident. I, I'm still not confident. What is the gap between Alex Caruso and DeAnthony Melton? Because I do think they're somewhat similar players. Yeah. I'll start with saying I think the defensive gap is bigger than I expected. That that really popped to me from Caruso. And I do check in on Caruso from time to time. I've seen a couple Bulls games this year beyond just them against the Sixers. Not a team that is in my my frequent watching uh just you know NBA League Pass channel surfing. Bulls not at, quite at the top of my list this year, yeah. but still have checked in from time to time. So I think the defense, there is a more notable gap between him and Melton. I do think Melton's a better shooter. I think Melton. I think I guess it would be pretty equal as playmakers, I would say. I do think Melton's better than advertised and has grown of late in that. Yeah. Um, Caruso, for sure, a better finisher. No doubts about that one. Um, but I guess my overall conversation is, James, how many deep do you think the Sixers rotate in the playoffs? Eight? Eight, yeah. I, I think that's eight probably max. So what's your eight right now on this Sixers team? So there's Embiid, obviously. Maxi, obviously. Tobias Harris, unfortunately. Nicholas Batum, obviously. Kelly Oubre, obviously. D'Anthony Melton, obviously. That's six right there. Paul Reed. And then who's your eighth, would you say? Um, I'm sorry. So you went like, no, no, sorry. no. Ma- you have Maxi, Melton, Batum, Harris, and Bede. Yeah, I guess Oubre, Paul Reed, Rocco. So no Pat Bev? Pat, sure, Pat Bev, like maybe, I, I guess so. I mean, I guess if that's you're putting it at eight, yeah. So I guess the point I'm getting at here is like you, so Caruso plays for sure, but then you got to bump guys from that. Then you got to figure out like, I there I think there's a very strong argument to be made that the better trade for the sake of this team is combining like three of these guys into the one like star level player and then the rotation kind of flows a little easier like even on a night-by-night basis the Sixers are going 10-11 deep which that's a lot at the NBA man that's a lot to rotate and something that I frankly just don't think you can really do in the postseason come NBA and I do think like I've always I've spoken already about my issue with you shouldn't be committed to playing Tobias Harris 35 minutes every single night you just don't have to like I promise you it's not in the contract he's gonna make his men he's gonna make the same amount of money regardless Let's make this team a little better and eat into that. Give Ubre some extra minutes. Give Batum some extra minutes. Let's see what Robert Covington can do. He has not gotten the chance that I would like from him. Covington's a guy that I would very much like to be in this rotation. And I, I don't think he's a Nick Nurse guy. I would like to find a way to make that happen. And honestly, like it, it's not even a dig at Covington. I, like I think he's looked good when he's played this year. I think he's done what I've hoped to see from him every time yeah. I've seen him in there. It feels like Nick Nurse doesn't like him. But I guess my overarching point, like if you're trading for Caruso, who essentially is another rotation player while he's a good one, like that doesn't bring the offensive firepower that I still think this team's lacking. And I'm not sure if like it changes the overall trajectory of this team in a way that like the trade I think they're holding out for would. Yeah, and I don't I don't disagree with that at all. And I think that that's like that's the crossroads that they're at, they're at right now is like you're definitely overpaying or at least paying like market value for a guy like Alex Caruso, which is high right now. And he also is limited in what he does. But I think when you talk about how important the little things are in a playoff series, like just think about like, think about a guy like Derek white, dude, he literally won playoff games for the Celtics last year. And like you do anything to have that guy playing the two for you right now. Like you play on the Celtics. 
I don't know if I'd go that far, but definitely something that somebody might say. And like Caruso is like, he's that type of player. He's never like, he's always on, always on. And the Sixers have just been dying for a guy that's like that on both ends of the floor. Like you've always had like Maxie's always on, on offense, but he's been spending the time to get better as a defender. And obviously he dealt with Harden and all his bullshit. And like everyone else is like Tobias, like is going to take three shots and it's like, what the hell else is he even doing? You know, and I don't, I don't disagree with any of the points you made. I actually agree with a lot of them, but if you do go, like, say you get Caruso and you don't have to give up any of those, you know, top seven players and you just add him to be that eighth, wherever he may fall in the minutes rotation, you now have a guard rotation of Maxi Caruso and Melton where Caruso and Melton can actually play together. I, I don't know if you'd go three guards, but damn, that defense would be really, really good. Yeah. And that's really important. I know like offense, obviously, um, but like you already have, you have two, you have two offensive juggernauts right now. Like you have the best score maybe ever. Like you have one of the best scores in the last decade of basketball. You have Tyrese Maxey, who's averaging, I don't even know right now, but scoring 30 left and right, no problems about it. And like, you might, you add a guy like Caruso in who I think isn't like, he's not an offensive, um, he doesn't necessarily like prop up an offense, but he's a connector sure. who does all the right things. And again, I'm not, I feels like I'm rallying for Alex Caruso right now. And I don't think that's necessarily the case, but I think that like, if it's not a star, right. If you're not doing that this year, Alex Caruso would make you pretty damn good. And then if you go down that line, it's Maxi Caruso, Batum, Harris, Embiid, Melton, Ubre, Reed wow. off the bench. That's a really, really, really strong eight that all can do everything on the court. And that's all we've been asking for for the last four years. So I would love it. I would love it. That's all I can say. Yeah. I mean, I see I see both sides more than I did, I, I would guess, a week ago. That I, I do see the appeal. I do see the argument. Another last point that I just want to wrap up, the last thing here. So we've talked a lot about Zach Levine. We've talked a lot about Alex Caruso. DeMar DeRozan, I think there's a chance that he could be sick on the Sixers team. Like, for way cheaper than either one of those guys. He's on an expiring contract as well, making $28 million this year. DeRozan's a mid-range killer. He operates in a ton of the same spots as Tobias. That If we're talking about making a Tobias-Harris like swap, like DeRozan, to me, is... He I, I he's more good than Tobias Harris and less bad. Like he is a guy that if you make the trade, it's not going to be one that you got to empty all your assets for that. I think he's the cheapest out of the three. You can add him to this roster. You're not going to have the same commitment of like, we have to get you all the shots. Like his role will be understood here, or at least that should be made clear to him. DeRozan, if that's a buy low target and the price tag's not much, I would absolutely kick the tires on that. Yeah. His passing really impressed me in this game, um, like as kind of a secondary ball handler. Uh, he made some really nice passes to Vucevic and some cutters off of his drives. And I think that's something that he's grown into um, more recently. He definitely didn't have that early in his career. Um, and that, that last possession pissed me off. That is not a foul um, on Tobias. And he gets he gets that call because he like that's what he that's the area he operates. He's very savvy. Um, but I agree with you, like. If it's a Tobias for DeRozan swap, like definitely makes it's sense. It's yeah. an upgrade. Um, DeRozan is not a great defender um, from what I'm gathering. Um, and that would be like if he's playing your four, three or four kind of sucks um, to like for that guy to not be a good defender just because of how many great wings you'll be playing, you know, um, throughout a potential playoff run. But definitely something you can work out. Right. I feel like you can always figure that out uh, to some level. But 
Yeah, I, I, he impressed me. Like I would do. I'm in the boat of like if you're gonna do a deal with the Bulls, get two of the three. Like okay. find out a way to get them both. Then like the the price tag of like okay, we're paying two first round picks, uh, and whatever else you might have to add in to make that work. Um, for for both sides, I'm in on on trying to get a little bit more than just Caruso. It makes that feel a little bit better. You know what I mean? And then with DeRozan, he's expiring as well, right? Yep. Yeah. So is. you still maintain that cap space going into the summer um, with a playoff run, hopefully under everyone's belt. And and he's right. a guy that like his, his offense translates to the playoffs. Like things tighten yep. up. Martyrosen's a tough bucket getter. Um, and down the down the stretch of a game, also a guy that can that can create and take tough shots um, when things get tough. That, that was going to be my next point is I do feel like that's a box that's unchecked on this team is we know what Embiid can do, obviously, but there are some inherent just struggles with a big man getting his shot in certain situations, especially in a playoff setting. Embiid is certainly well aware of that at this point. Maxi's like taking his leap forward and has some isolation ability, but he's not like a tough bucket getter to the extent where you have to be in the playoffs, at least right now. DeMar DeRozan is like, I very much think there's like a section of the shot clock that the Rosen can just go out and get to this mid-range spot and get a bucket that like I can visualize him hitting big shots in the postseason with a Sixers uniform on him. And by the way, like let's not forget when he first came to the Bulls, which was two years ago, I know he was such short-term memory when like covering the NBA, but he was like an MVP candidate. He was in that conversation to start off. He averaged 27.9 points per game with the Bulls his first year. Now, once again, that was two seasons ago. This year he's shooting or averaging 22.2 points per game this year. I, I, that's something that I think hasn't got enough like legitimate conversation. And if the Rosen's like not an expensive deal whatsoever, I think I would absolutely jump on that from the Sixers perspective. Yeah. I, I it, it's tough because I do wonder what, like with his limitations, like if it hurts in, in certain moments, like obviously the, the mid range scoring is great. Um, but he, like, he's going to need more of a market share of the Sixers offense to like be effective in that way. Um, the defensive inefficiencies are, are worrisome at times, but like you said, I think uh, the undeniable fact about DeMar DeRozan is like, he's a scorer. He is elite in that way. Um, and the Sixers haven't had like that complimentary he, offense. He was an all-star last year. Yeah. Like he's still, I think, yeah. got it. Like, yeah. and I feel way better when you're kind of spacing out these rotations and lineups, when you can have two of the four of like when we're talking about generating offense, Joel Embiid, Tyrese Maxey, uh, Kelly Oubre, and DeMar DeRozan, I feel a lot better about that four than I do with Tobias Harris over DeRozan as kind of your key pieces there. Yeah, I also think like you can get, it gives you like a lot more, like there's just more juice there yeah. um, than what you have with Tobias. And like if you have it, like even with Oubre, like I think that he's going to find himself getting more minutes as the year goes on. Um, He kind of gets back into the swing of things, but like, adding Ubre into any of these lineups just gives you just a little bit more sauce. It's like all around, just yeah. like hand, ball handling, athleticism, athleticism up and down, yeah. vertically, horizontally, just the whole thing where Tobias is just like slow. Oh, like just gentle. Like he's just way too gentle on the shit that he yeah, does. That, yeah. It, it's just all like, I, I don't know. And and DeRozan is going to be in that. Like he's going to operate in this a similar capacity, but he just does it with a little bit more ferocity. And he's a killer. He's, he's a killer. killer. He is a yeah. killer. He, he's an assassin scorer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do love nice little callback on that one. But uh, yeah, I, I've warmed up to that conversation. We are going to have plenty more of the, the trade talks here. Um, We are. It is getting to that time of year that for 
a lot of people, yeah, this is the, the swing of things. Yeah, January 15th, we got a whole new yeah. slew of players becoming available. So I think things will fully heat up during that time. Um, but James, appreciate you for hopping on with me today. We're mm-hmm. going to get over and watch this Timberwolves game, and we'll be back with another episode next week. Hopefully things go well. I'm sure you guys can let us know in the comments about that game and sound off. If we uh, missed anything notable, I'll be back in action dropping something if that is the case. But appreciate everyone for tuning in. Make sure to hit that like button, subscribe to the channel, and we will talk next time right here on the PicSwap Podcast.